From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. This is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And for this edition, it's my privilege to have as our guest, Father Daniel J. Swartz, uh, Chaplain Lieutenant in the United States Navy. Welcome, Father Swartz. Thank you, Taylor. It's good to be here. And it's good to have you. You join us by telephone from uh, Ohio. And our topic is the late summer 2021 U.S. military evacuation of Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul and the tragic suicide bombing there on August 26th, killing 13 U.S. servicemen and many Afghans and others at the airport that sad day, desperately fleeing the Taliban takeover. Father Swartz, you were there with the 2nd Battalion 1st Marines. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Tell us how it came about that you were uh, uh, brought to Afghanistan and and, uh, give us a blow-by-blow account. Recount the events leading up to that tragic day, August 26th. Uh, Correct. So we we left the uh, day following uh, when the airport was overrun. It became uh, apparent we already had a company on the ground as a kind of QRF, a quick response force. Um, to help bolster uh, our security presence uh, in Afghanistan once it looked like the evacuation was in a bit more of a dire situation than I think what other people, um, different uh, different agencies had anticipated. So once that incident occurred, because uh, obviously you can't evacuate people if, if people are just moving about the runway, we had to get more people in, um, security personnel, uh, military members. And once I saw that that was happening... I, I knew they were going to activate our entire battalion, uh, which they did. Um, and they activated so, you from where? Where Where were you when you were activated? Uh, I was in Kuwait at the time. So we were watching that whole situation unfold uh, on screens. Um, and it's it's odd watching kind of just air footage and knowing those are your guys on the ground. Hmm. What day did you arrive in Kabul? Uh, it would have been August 17th. So you arrived at Kabul Airport on August 17th, almost 10 days before the bombing that claimed 13 American lives. So in the nine days between the time you arrived in Kabul until the bomb attack at the airport, tell me what happened during that time. Yeah, it's, uh, so there's definitely a switch in perspective for my guys. My whole reason for being there was to provide... Um, prayer for them, spiritual support for them, um, mental, emotional support. Obviously, like as a, as a battalion chaplain, you're, you're your battalion's subject matter expert on ethics and morals, and that, that's a humanitarian crisis going on. So um, there, there's all of those concerns. Um, but there was, a, there was a mentality switch that our guys had to, had to uh, initially um, – uh, initially overcome. That's when we were landing, we were unsure as to the security situation. Like the, the Taliban had not made their, um, their disposition known at that point. We weren't exactly sure what they were going to do. Uh, it wasn't later until there was a kind of deal brokered in which they kind of held a, uh, a pseudo type of security about the airport, uh, allowing for continued evacuations. But there was a there was a real thought that we would land and it would probably get it would probably what we call kinetic that uh, 
it, there, there might be a, something of a battle happening in order to uh, continue evacuations. But thankfully that didn't occur because uh, that, would, that would have been a completely different situation. So our guys had to switch from a uh, combative uh, mindset, thinking that we might have to go in fighting, to a humanitarian mindset in which you know the security situation was different, and now we're just focusing on helping as many people as possible. So roughly how many Marines were you with when you landed in uh, Afghanistan on August 17th? Now, how many are in my battalion or how many I landed with? How, how many How many you landed with in, in Kabul that day, roughly speaking? Okay, that would be that'd be like around the size of a company, so I would say around 250. I see. Okay, so bring us up to date on the uh, day of the suicide bomb, August 26th. How did, how did that day start for you? Um, well, it never, it really kind of never ended from the previous day. That was a, that was a longer stint, um, just cause timing was so weird. So I was moving, um, I would just move continuously through my guy's position, uh, whether it's, uh, where they would kind of pitch their tent, so to speak, which was a more secure area up in the north of the airport. Um, we had guys staying in a cafeteria, we had guys staying in a, in a gym, um, basically different units were just sleeping where they could, uh, living where they could. Um, and I'd move among them. I check in at our different uh, kind of command posts, so to speak, uh, where we had a footprint just to see, you know, wh- what I what I knew that they might want to hear, or uh, they they would have all kinds of updates on situations. And so I was just doing my normal circulation through that day. Um, and then, uh, leading, I mean, the the guys had a really uh, the the crowd would be at different points of emotion depending on that day, and they're. It was actually pretty calm that afternoon. Like there was a, they were processing a lot of people. I was I was at that uh, location in Abbeygate about half an hour, forty five minutes uh, before the attack took place. And I remember leaving that area thinking that my guys had the situation well in hand. That you know the people weren't there wasn't a lot of roughhousing um, as as we had seen in previous days. I mean it was still occurring. The, the crowd kind of jostling for position, and um, obviously people had been out there for a long period of time, and so. You know, sometimes emotions would flare among them. Um, and these but, were these were uh, Afghans who were applying for uh, a political asylum in the United States. True, there was a. We were at that point because you would get different requisites of who you were looking for, and so that at that point it was mainly uh, green card holders, uh, passport holders, uh, visas of different types, and it, it wasn't just. Uh, it wasn't just for us, but like uh, if you if you found someone with like a European passport or something, any anything that basically showed that they had a connection to uh, another country, um, even those that could prove like uh, for the State Department, like an elongated uh, or like some kind of significant employment by by the uh, by the U.S. government, like that was like that that was that was good in itself. Um, it just it just really depended on the situation. So you were at the site of the suicide bombing about what forty five minutes before it occurred. Uh, correct. Yeah, I would I would walk the line where anywhere my guys were. I, I would try to go visit them. Um, and uh, so when I when I saw where where it, where it uh, like they kind of gave a general disposition of the attack. When I saw the map, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I know exactly where that is. So exactly what were you guys doing? Were they uh, involved in processing the paperwork, or were they, uh, uh, young, you know, uh, 
working on crowd control, um, guarding the airport, all of all, the above? All, all of the above. So we had um, a couple of different things occurring. One was a security posture in which guys were, and it's not like people had these assigned roles specifically. I mean, you can move from a security posture to helping somebody in a matter of seconds, right, depending on what's going on. Um, but our guys were, were there to provide a security buffer uh, for uh, specifically Abbey Gate. And that's to make sure, because obviously the crowd, um, there's a lot of emotion there, a lot of people. We knew that of everybody at the gate, we weren't going to be able to get everybody out. You're just going to help who you can. Um, and because of that, the, the crowd had uh, a tendency to panic at times, um, a big tendency to uh, to push at the gate, uh, sometimes to the injury of some of their own. Um, and so our, our guys had to kind of try to maintain a calm and also... Uh, create these buffer zones to make sure that they weren't uh, pressing in on certain areas or on the gate itself to make processing. The whole idea was a crowd management, both in terms of their emotional state and uh, how compact or how concentrated they were in some areas to make sure that they could be processed. So at the same time, they were looking at paperwork uh, from the crowd to see if they had um, a legitimate application or means to enter another country. And then that would be then passed up. Uh, the, you know, they, they would help the people from the crowd. Uh, in this case, there was a canal, so help people out of that canal and then bring them to uh, the next stage of processing. Obviously, they had to be, they had to be searched, and the State Department um, then would look at their documents more thoroughly because that's, you know, that's their expertise. Um, and we would go from there. So we're talking about a, a tense atmosphere where uh, hundreds, thousands of Afghans are trying to get out of the country. Uh, the, the Marines are uh, working crowd control, uh, enforcing a buffer, a security buffer zone with the airport, also helping with the paperwork. Was there any inkling that an attack might come? Uh, yep, there was. I mean, there was, um, there were, there were threats. I mean, there was a possibility of threats in, in a, a number of different forms. Uh, so there was an awareness of certain possibilities of an attack of that kind. And uh, so where were you when the suicide bomb took place? I was actually back towards that. Uh, so what I was doing is that I had circled back towards that, that more secure area towards the north, uh, checked in to the um, where one of our companies who was uh, standing down at that time, because you try to catch guys, uh, when they're in those transition periods to see what they need because you don't want to get them right when they're trying to get some sleep because guys would be sleeping at different times of the day or trying to grab food. So right when they would transition is a good time to talk to them, see what they need, how they're doing. Um, always try to circle back, uh, like I said, to that headquarters area to see if they, uh, if they knew of certain needs or situations that might be of interest to me as a chaplain. Um, but we were, honestly, we were getting ready to leave in the coming days. So I went back to... Um, kind of where I had pitched my tent, so to speak, to to work on a transition brief for my guys, just to get something on paper, a couple of ideas on paper, because uh, I saw that the guys had things well in hand. Um, and so I went back to, uh, started to kind of brainstorm uh, how to give them this brief about going back home, uh, which was uh, kind of kind of an irony, now, now looking back at it, a cold irony. Um but uh, so that that was that was, that was kind of a, a tough situation to be to be thinking about a kind of logistic or administrative need like in the midst of that happening. But um, 
you know, you, what, what are you going to do? You just do what you, you you're doing. You're going about your day and doing what you need, and not thinking about okay, uh, you know, worst case scenario kind of thing. So you're handling relatively routine paperwork, uh, preparing for departure. Uh, when did you first uh, become aware that the, the suicide bombing had taken place? So I was back in back in my living area. Um, I'm kind of doing that brainstorming to make sure you know my guys were getting a good a good brief you know about coming home, coming to families, and then I mean it just so happened it was a uh, an area in which we had signal because uh, obviously getting signal and that and when there's so much so many transmissions and so many other things that are transmitting uh, there's there's not always the ability to get signal uh, in the airport obviously. A signal and, uh, you're talking about. You're talking about cell phone signals or visual signals. Yeah, or? it was a it was a it was a phone message, and um, it was another chaplain actually messaged me about a mass casualty situation. And when I saw that, I knew what happened because we we were aware of of the threat level of what could possibly happen. And so when I saw that message, I, I was like, oh oh no! Like I, I knew that had come to be a reality. Um, so my RP was with me. Your RP, um, what does that like, mean? What is RP? RP is a uh, religious professional. These are kind of like, uh, I call them hybrids of bodyguards and secretaries uh, mixed into one. Got it. Um, so he's he's very good. These are sailors. Uh, they're paired specifically with Navy chaplains uh, for the purpose of assisting them in their ministry and also protecting them. Um, so I told him, like, hey, grab your kit. Like, let's let's put our armor on. Let's, uh, let's get out there. Um, and he... Uh, when, when I said mass cash too, you could kind of see the demeanor on his face change, and so he he was he was aware as as I was, like as soon as that said of what what had occurred, um, and it's you know like where does the even on ship duty where does the chaplain go uh, during battle stations? Like you go you go to medical, um, you go right to medical to 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 help receive people, and so that's what we did. We went right to medical. Did you hear the blast? Um, I remember hearing something of a pop. Uh, however, I didn't think anything of it, or that could be my mind kind of filling in the facts for that, because it was not uncommon um, to hear uh, pops and shots of all kinds throughout the day. Um, and so, did I distinct? Did I distinctively hear the blast at that time? I have no idea. I have no idea. And when you say that uh, you went to medical, is was that a, a tent or a, a medical site that was set up? To- uh, it was. A, it was an actual. Facility set up in that northern secure area uh, and so there we had our we had our, our uh, different medical teams there I mean th- this whole operation was really kind of um, a NATO thing in which you had all these different allied nations and so when I got there you're hearing you're hearing English uh, you're hearing Swedish um, you're hearing um, I mean the Brits had their medics there as well and so you have all these different nations uh, working. It was it was really an incredible collaboration in the midst of a uh, of an emergency. And how far would you say the medical facility was from the Abbey Gate where the uh, suicide bomb took place? Oof. Um, well, as the bird flies, I would I would say it would just be a matter of about um, maybe a mile and a half. But they had to you have to drive all the way around the uh, the airfield for that regard. Um, our guys did uh, a very a uh, really incredible job in which uh, casualties were already being um, treated and moved within 10 minutes of being received. And how were they transported by, uh, were there ambulances there, jeeps? Uh, 
<laughs> any vehicle we could find. Understood. And so when you got to the medical facility, what did you see when you got there? Uh, chaos. It was, um, it was, uh, it was gruesome. Um, it was, uh, it, it was vivid. Uh, it was, it was kind of something, something out of a movie. Um, in which you have people in various states of injury, um, uh, lo- looking for help, crying for help, uh, medical personnel rushing around everywhere, um, soldiers, Marines, um, carrying, carrying people to and fro. Um, and you just, you just kind of snap into action. Like you just don't, you just don't dwell on the details. You just kind of, you just, you start moving. Um, like I remember arriving and, uh, the chaplain who messaged me just happened to be right there and we were arriving at one of the triage points. And, um, and, uh, you know, I saw her and she's like, yep, yeah, help out where you can. And, uh, and with that, you know, I just kind of paused and asked myself, like, what would a priest do here? And, uh, you know, a couple ideas floated to mind. I'm like, all right, let's start moving. Did you administer last rites at that point? Yeah, yeah. We'd uh, administer last rites to, um, to, to quite a few people. And was it just the uh, U.S. servicemen who were bring, being brought to this medical facility, or was it uh, Afghan civilians as well, or members of the uh, Afghan every, military? Yeah, there was uh, um, all the above. How many would you say were brought to that facility on the north side of the airport, roughly? I have I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Um, that's because you have people also being moved from triage areas to uh, to pre-op to uh, going into op. Um, and so you might be seeing the same person uh, twice, three times, and just not know it, because uh, now it's harder to recognize them when they, when they start to get more gear on and that kind of thing. I'm talking to Father Daniel Swartz, a lieutenant in the U.S. Navy, and a, a chaplain who was present at the suicide bombing at the uh, Kabul airport back on August 26th of uh, 2021. Uh, so, uh, Father Swartz, what was going on in your mind? What was going through your mind when you saw this chaos and bloodshed at the at the medical facility where you were? Um, just really getting, uh, getting to my guys. Um, so there's distinct uniforms being worn, like uh, another Marine battalion that was there, 1-8, they were wearing um, woodland frogs, for example. Uh, our guys were in desert frogs. The British had a very particular camouflage that they were using. Army had their distinct uniform. So you started to learn these kind of different uniforms. And when I saw people being brought up, um, and I began to see more and more desert frogs, it started to kind of hit me like, these are my guys. Um, and so whenever I would see that, I would gravitate towards it. And so my mindset wasn't so much processing uh, what, like, all the all the visual detail, but it was more so in terms of like, where are my guys and what do they need? And how long did all this go on? Um, I probably didn't finish working till about three that in that three in the morning, uh, following the attack. Wow. And the attack took place roughly about what time? Oh goodness. Um, that wasn't until after the, until the afternoon, about 1700. So for almost, what, 10, 10 hours, 12 hours nonstop, you were uh, uh, 
uh, you're working to uh, assist the medical people to uh, give uh, uh, last rites to the to the uh, to the wounded. Um, and you're at, at the time of the blast. You were contemplating going home. Your uh, unit is based in Southern California, I believe, right? True. Yeah, it was the same question I had before, just in a different context. Like, what do my guys need? Because there is definitely, I mean, in a human, human humanitarian crisis like that, experiencing so much human desperation and need, our guys were were working on processing all of that because um, you know some of them had never seen anything like that. Actually, all of us had never seen anything like that. Uh, and so even before the attack, there was still a lot of uh, processing and healing that needed to take place. So I went back to kind of put my thoughts together, like, hey, what can I say, what can I teach them in order to help them transition back to you know, a home setting, a family setting, uh, back to America? So I was, I was trying to enter into that mindset preemptively for them of like, hey, how do we get ready to go back home? And... Like I said, the great irony was that all of a sudden that's when the attack occurred. And you say you went back. What were your accommodations like there at the airport? <laughs> uh, it depends where you were. It was everything <laughs> from uh, sleeping on the side of the road, uh, which our, our guys did at times, just to stay close uh, to where their shift is at Abbey Gate. Um, some of our guys were staying uh, in a cafeteria. Uh, some of our guys were staying in the gym. I mean, you had there's you know a guy there's guys sleeping on ellipticals those kind of things and treadmills uh, so the joke was like if you turned all the treadmills on at the same time you'd probably send about close to anywhere of like uh, uh, fifteen to eighteen marines across the room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this um, uh, terrible event has just transpired. That first day uh, you worked until the wee hours of the next morning. Uh, how long before you were able to celebrate a mass after this took place? Oh, I, I did it immediately after that. Like I just that's 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 what I needed. I I, I admit I didn't even know um, what the liturgical day was. I just celebrated a mass for the dead. Yeah. And uh, how quickly did you learn the casualty count? Oh, I, I knew it the I knew it the uh, the night prior. It's uh. I was helping because um, one of the big things is, is that they started to remove uniforms from wounded and um, or or those killed. And actually, it was it became uh, difficult to identify. So I, I was helping with that process as well. You've been uh, on active duty, uh, Father Daniel Swartz, for three or four years now. Is that correct? Or yeah, two thousand nineteen. Uh, okay, so uh, tell me, uh, did your uh, and then you'd spent uh, five years in seminary, done some time uh, 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 as a, a civilian priest before you went on active duty, uh, and then then you'd gone through training, uh, vigorous training for to to become a, a a U.S. Navy chaplain. Were you prepared for what you saw that day? Um, I would say yes and no. Uh, you're never, um, I, I'd be worried if you were entirely prepared, um, for something like that, uh, because it means in some, in some way that, uh, cause if, if you were entirely prepared, like how do you, how do you prepare the soul for, for losing, you know, uh, out of the 13, you know, 10, 10 were my guys, uh, all of which I knew personally, um, 
because I, I made a really big effort just to, to, to see all of them. Uh, I didn't want guys to come to the end of the deployment and be like, hey, we never saw the chaplain. Um, so I purposely circulate among them as much as I could. Um, and so I think there's always, uh, there should always be, since as a chaplain, as a priest, we're meant towards to be just a bastion of that which is good, right, and true, um, to emulate that from God. And so to be completely prepared to anticipate or to be comfortable with the touch of evil or chaos in such a way, I, I, I find that disarming. So I think there should always be something that you're not ready for in that degree, because we are um, uh, predispositioned, we are orientated towards the good. Um, now, that being said, it shouldn't catch us off guard. It can still impact us. And, uh, and so I think the in regards to the chaplaincy, there was good training there in terms of like we had done mass casualty drills before. And so when we got to medical, RP and I didn't need to say anything. Uh, we just, we, we knew what the role for each other was. Like he was identifying, um, he knew how to, you know, check tags to uh, find people's religious preference. Um, you know, if they need last rites, if they needed prayer, he was identifying people uh, ahead of me um, and kind of doing his own spiritual triage. So that way, when I picked my head up from whoever I was with and we're moving on, he already had the next person you know, picked out of who I was going towards. Like he, even though he's not Catholic, he knows, he knows what I need in order to do last right. So that I need to have at least access to the skin, um, and to be able to get within physical touch, uh, that kind of thing. So we, we just kind of kicked into action there. Um, the chaplain side for the priesthood. I mean, I, I think the priesthood was the best training I could have had for, for that because it's, um, you're not a priest just for, for the living, but for the dead. And, um, I mean, the priest helps bring the soul to God. Uh, you know, we're, we're no strangers to death because we also understand um, that death isn't the end. Um, and so with, with that, uh, I, I think the faith was perhaps the best training for, for that situation. I mean, I'm, of course, I'm just kind of spitballing right now in that regard, but you know, my heart kind of gravitates towards that. Uh, I was very thankful at the end of that day uh, to be a priest. Um, I know that sounds odd, but uh, I don't know if I would know what to do if I wasn't a priest uh, in that situation or what I would have to offer. But that might be an unfair answer because obviously I'm there as a chaplain and that's my role. But, uh, Were you able to have uh, any meaningful conversation with some of the victims in the hours after the suicide bombing? The victims, hours after the bombing? Um, yeah, I mean, there was very... Um, there's some very uh, powerful moments of ministry. Um, we, the biggest thing was like we wanted to medevac them out of there as quickly as possible, uh, just to be able to get them out of Afghanistan, to get them to um, higher echelon uh, medical care facilities. Um, and so as soon as as soon as they were stable and able to move, like we were, the, the big push was to get them out. I see. Any idea how many of uh, the 13 killed uh, were Catholic? Um, a number of them. Uh, if, I were to, if I were to throw it off the top of my head, I would say around uh, four or five. Mm-hmm. And you knew each of these these uh, these servicemen. Um, I'm sure that there had to have been a period of decompression for you after all this. When when the worst was over, what then? Um. Yeah, it's a question I'm still working to answer, to be honest. I, I wish I had a, 
I wish I had a full answer for it, but I don't. How soon after the August 26th suicide bombing were you and your unit able to leave Afghanistan? Um, well, that's, that varies, um, I would say, throughout like mid-September into October, uh, just because you, you can't move a whole... You can't move a whole battalion. Are you talking about like out of Afghanistan or back home? Uh, well, both. Uh, after you left Afghanistan, uh, did you well, go back to Kuwait or? Yeah, well, we kind of went back to the countries where we were, um, you know, pre-located, and so we weren't all located in Kuwait together. Um, and I would bounce between those locations just to see them all. Uh, certainly got some frequent flyer miles uh, doing all of that. <laughs> Uh, it gets to the point where you're you're known uh, on a personal basis by name by the pilot. So they're 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 really good people. Um, but we in the following days, like we were, our entire battalion was being moved out of Afghanistan. So it was it was it was a matter of days. Um, yeah. In terms of following that back to the United States, it was a matter of weeks uh, because obviously you can't move a whole battalion uh, back to the states and just by a snap of the finger. And you have. There's a lot of equipment uh, to take into consideration all of that, but we were we were coming back in waves following that. And uh, when did when did you finally get back to San Diego? <laughs> uh, that was October the fifth, I think. What a deployment! That uh, that day was a little hazy. All I knew is that when I woke up, I was in America, and I was very happy about that. <laughs> And so now you're taking a little well-deserved uh, time off in your home state of Ohio, and uh, I uh, want to be the uh, the first to say thank you for your service, Father Daniel Swartz, and uh, uh, our our prayers are are with you, and uh, I especially thank you for taking the time to share with us uh, your experience for our podcast. Yeah, well, it's my guys are the heroes. I'm just the one who supports them. Thank you very much. Father Daniel J. Swartz, a chaplain lieutenant in the United States Navy. Father Swartz was present at the Kabul airport on August 26 when the suicide bomber struck, killing 13 um, U.S. servicemen and uh, an untold number of Afghans. Thank you again, Father. Of course. Thank you, Taylor.